everybody. Do you like getting stoned and watching a movie? Or just watching a movie? Well, then check out our podcast, I Am Weed, where we and a guest go to the movies and discuss it after. A movie review podcast with a little token twist. Get it? Oh, boy. But hey, you don't have to smoke weed to enjoy this podcast. Uh, you should enjoy watching movies, though. Subscribe to I Am Weed on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. It's the Improv Session Podcast. It's the Improv Session Podcast. It's the Improv Session Podcast. It's the Improv Session Podcast with Stephen Pearlstein. Improv Obsession Podcast. This start was too loud. I'm just going to start over. I'm just giving up. Did you quit already? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're done. This was fun. <laughs> Thank you for your time. <laughs> hey, everyone. Welcome to the Improv Obsession Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Pearlstein. Today, on the show, very special guest, Chad Damiani. Damiani? Damiani? Both of Damiani? Yeah, I like Damiani. You like Damiani? But I have family members who go Damiani. Okay. So. I'm sorry. I, I thought I heard Matt Mazzani. Who's a good friend of mine, but uh, I just... Rizarni? He's a big guy. He can call me whatever he, he wants. Get, he just let him do whatever he wants. <laughs> yeah, he just... He's scary strong. I'm pretty much the same with that guy. <laughs> the nicest person in the world. He never heard of him. Yeah. Uh, Actually, though, just as a side note, he did choke a guy out at the Drunk History premiere. Someone had come in. This is a true story. He told Ooh. me. Uh, I guess a guy came in. He was being loud. And he uh, you know, he's a, he used to um, train MMA. His brother's an MMA fighter. Yeah. And so he put the guy in a Darce choke. Choked him out. Then let him come back. And then kind of calmed him down in front of all his coworkers at Funny or Die. So... He has the ability. Jesus Christ. Just, it's good to know. It's good to know. I, I'm terrified. <laughs> I didn't know he... Wow. I always thought he was like a big fluffy bear who had never hurt anybody. He is, it's, but it's just inside. it's extra It's scary. the Shrek power. Yeah, he's got his Shrek power. That's fantastic. Um, well, Chad, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, my pleasure. I love, uh, I love the podcast. We've talked about it, and uh, I'm a fan. Thank you. That's very nice. Uh, more than a couple times, you've been like, hey, I like this episode. And I'm like, hey, thanks. Really warms my heart. Uh, positive feedback is always good in the world. Uh, <laughs> let's say we got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about, um, but I figure, like, I don't really know, like, your whole story of, like, where you came from coming up and starting in the improv world. So, like, I kind of want to hear a little bit about that. Well, I'm a real late start story. Yeah. Um, so I feel like it's important to go back, because um, I was doing a form of improv that I didn't realize at the time, but I spent eight years of my life uh, before I got to Los Angeles as an announcer, um, uh, like a sports announcer. Yeah. Uh, five of those years was in professional wrestling. Great. And I didn't realize at the time, but now looking back, like that was my real first foray into improv because basically I was there at a time when they weren't really giving us the complete scripts, at least until the last two years. Yeah. So you would go out there and announce these shows. I would announce um, for World Championship Wrestling, and I would do internet pay-per-views. Um, I would do direct TV, stuff like that. And you would have to fill in all the blanks. Yeah. You know, And you would have to create the conflict between the guys. You would have to sort of create fake emotion and you know that was part of it part of the story as the announcer is to like speak to the for the fans so i spent five years doing that three five hour blocks at a time just kind of being in the moment yeah um i got to la around 2003 but it wasn't i guess i've been doing this about six years it wasn't um until about six years ago what 2009 yeah 
that uh, I took a class. I'd never even heard of long form improv. Hadn't heard of it. Like so many people, like whose line is it anyway? That was improv, and I yeah. And I was like, oh, that's kind of. It's just like, not my style. Yeah, no, I get it. And uh, <laughs> my girlfriend at the time, um, she started taking classes. She's an actress. And I started going to her um, mandatory shows uh, against my will. And then um, we could never get into Herald Night, so we'd go see The Smokes. Yeah. And that was so just sad. like, <laughs> I was like, holy mackerel. And at that time, too, and this is no shot on those teams, but that's, that's a veteran squad. So I was like, this, is the, this show is amazing. Still not is. saying Yeah, not <laughs> saying it's the, the Heralds were bad, but no, these no, no, guys no. were killing it. Yeah. And uh, that was and still is like my favorite team. Like I just got to see them Monday. Yeah, and I was like, "Do you guys?" They had just started at that point too. Yeah, and they were having half houses. Really, which is me. Like when you think about it. Yeah, and uh, specifically for whatever reason, Brian Gallivan. Yeah, he was murdering me. Like he no wasted energy. Yeah, every line landed. I was like, "How is it possible?" So precise. He just drops like one three-word sentence and it's the funniest thing that's happened all night yeah Ugh. and and just his patience and his confidence and uh so she was already going well you should do this now i'd like to say she's told me to do improv just because she's, oh, you're a funny guy but realistically i was so entrenched in trying to be a writer that my life had gotten really unhealthy like <laughs> sure. i was i was living in a basement apartment in glendale that only had windows at like the top two feet Surrounding, and that was to an alley with another build, so there was no natural light. Uh, and um, and yeah, all I would do was just work on scripts all day and try to sell reality shows. And then I would just, I had this. It was really embarrassing. I had this chaise lounger. This is right in front of a big old box TV, so no couch. So it would just be me sitting on that chair watching TV. Like I just was never getting out. And so I started taking classes. And it wasn't love at first sight at all. When was it? Sorry, when was the first class? You said 2009? Does that sound right? Yeah, 2009. Um, I liked it, but it was just like, there wasn't a sense like, oh, I have to do this all the time. It was like, oh, this is fun. I get to go out and hang out and meet some people. And that went on for like two years. Um, And uh, and then I I actually, only reason I formed Cat Bath, which is the first group um, I have an indie show called Catsby on the second and fourth Sunday that plays at the clubhouse out yes. here in Los Angeles. And the only reason I formed that group was because uh, Kira, uh, the woman I was with, she had sort of been passed over to be in a group with her classmates who eventually became Murder Cliff. And if you knew, <laughs> uh, so she was like, I don't understand. And now you look back, you're like, oh, yeah. They, uh, plus, she can't sing or dance. Or, sure. And so. <laughs> so I formed this group because I, I, I want, didn't want her to feel excluded yeah. with people from my class. And she dropped out in like three months. She, she was just like – she went to Stella Adler and uh, she was used to doing stuff like packing a suitcase for your character, like long stretches of preparation. So improv to her just didn't yeah. click. And, uh, oh, and then we funny. started doing shows as Cat Bath. And, uh, you know, this is sort of a sad turn on this podcast, but she Kira got sick. She got um, she um she was uh, diagnosed with like uh, stage four pancreatic cancer, yeah, and uh, and it was only then that we went away to Houston for three months and we were trying to work things out. That when I came back, I really needed something. I needed something that wasn't this world of illness and and uh, and then I just dove into improv. You know that became when I wasn't there caring for her or dealing with those real larger than life issues yeah. that's what I was doing and I, you know and I would take Beck Drysdale and Miles and 
I was lucky enough to get to work with Rich Tallarico for a long stretch, and uh, and it just became consuming to me, you yeah. know, because that was that was the only time I felt like I didn't have all the weights of this other stuff when I was on stage or when I was practicing. Right. And it was from there that I really just then it became an int- integral part of my life. Yeah. You know? And um, and unfortunately she passed away, and uh, and then two I felt like at that point. It had been so important to me through her illness that sort of I wanted it to become like a celebration of sort of our time together and life in general. Sure. And uh, and then I just started seeing everything completely different. And, you know, it's one of those things that they say, like, pain and failure are gifts that no one wants, you know? Sure. We just sort of run into these situations, and I just realized that I had seen the very worst of life. Like, I had seen everyone's worst nightmare come true you know played out over 18 months and then like before that if i would do a show there was always this sense of oh my god what if it's a bad show and now it was like who fucking cares like sure this is a gift we have to sort of be in front of our friends and people who are willing to give us their undivided attention for this period of time to be artists and be comics and so like i was kind of armed with this confidence and this joy uh that i felt like it just changed everything for me you know and i just i felt like i just became a better performer just because i had context on what performing was you know interesting uh there's a lot that was more than you expected on that there's a lot to unpack there uh i'm just trying to figure out where i'm gonna hop into it uh I feel I'm trying to figure out exactly too, just just uh, for like only me is like when you came onto my radar, and I'm trying to figure out if it was with Cat Bath and Cat's Me. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I just I, I was trying. I don't know. I'm trying to think of like if we have. Cause I know we never practiced together. I don't think we did. No, we we were on that mashup team that went out a few times, and we had a good time. Yeah. What was uh, that? Wait, wait, what was that? Uh, the thing oh, Minsway. Yeah, 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 yeah. Minsway, Minsway, Minsway. Oh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, buddy. <laughs> He's gonna. Right now. <laughs> in a milkshake. Yeah, in a milkshake is very <laughs> accurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So, wow. Okay, so that's uh, that's a lot. That's all very rough and a lot, and I'm going to just part. So let's just, okay, so let's just start from the beginning. Uh, you, you, talk, you talk about, like, the wrestling announcement, mm-hmm. uh, and that's really interesting, too, because uh, somebody wants, uh, Eric Moneypenny once was like, told me, like, yeah, wrestling is just sketch. Like, it's just sketch oh, yeah. anyway. Uh, which I never really thought of that way, and I feel like you can kind of, you can put that together, uh, but I can definitely see how announcing it and creating all those stories, the tension, all that stuff, that's absolutely... And just sort like of, yeah, forming a narrative structure, yeah. like this play is being done, it's all physical, and you're sort of its voice, but I would even go further and say, I just realized, actually, you brought up Matt Mazzani, we were talking, that improv, um, not improv, but pro wrestling was my first comedy love. Yeah. Um, when I was a kid, I mean, I had my dad and I watched a lot of like Abbott and Costello and Three Stooges, and I was a big uh, Mark. That's a wrestling term for Johnny Carson and sitting on top of the steps because I wasn't allowed to be up. But Saturday mornings, I would watch these shows, and I I did love the hero villain element. But what I loved was how funny it was. And I, I remembered as I was driving over here, I was thinking about it a little bit. Like there were just these sort of uh, seminal moments, like 
there was a character or a wrestler named Baron von Raschke who was before your time and he was great he was this he was a Nazi and he was oh he talked like this and he's like ah and he and he had a claw and I he can't see it but uh yeah and he would rub his forearm and make this claw and he just grind and he would talk about all these terrible things he do. Well, what happens in wrestling is if you're good enough at anything, people love you. Yeah. So no matter what character you are, if you go out and entertain them for years, they can't help but love you. And he became a babyface, a good guy. Yeah. But he didn't know how to be anything, a Nazi good guy. So he didn't know how to be anything but Baron Von Raschke. So he would still go out in interviews. And there's this one interview. I I don't know if I could find it on YouTube. But he would. He came out, and Gene Okerlund was interviewing him. And Gene's like, "We're back in Baltimore, Baron Von Raschke," and he's doing the same bit where he's, he's making the claw, and he's like, "Gene, how are you? How are your daughters?" <laughs> right? But there's no, there's no. They don't know it's funny, you know. But I remember there was that moment. Was like, "Holy mackerel! This is the funniest." All right, good. And a, uh, yeah, so yeah. Like, but in general, there's also that improv element of they're moving faster. They're they're producing so much content. They don't have time to be metic. They do improvise, and yeah. some of the best promos and match moments. I mean, they had to come up with so many ideas. They would come in unintentionally. There was down in um, Georgia area, uh, Dusty Rhodes at one point, Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream, did a whole angle where he had a guy in a gorilla suit who was, I believe, was he was going to unleash on Dick Murdoch. And he'd bring this guy, and they'd all act like it was a real guy in a cage. And then Dick Murdoch would run from this guy in a month, and it was like tears running down my face. So That's great. Uh, that's insanity. What a fun start. <laughs> I love, I feel like you're definitely, heard, I've heard like a few teachers, people who are teachers and stuff, and that's mm. kind of how they got their start somehow. A lot of teachers who became improvisers. Yeah. But you're probably the only one who's got that story. I, I think love it. I've definitely met, I do know there are tons of wrestling fans. Oh yeah, there's a lot of wrestling yeah. fans, which I never got. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's just because like I had an older stepbrother who would do wrestling moves on me, <laughs> and he's like Negative, 10 years yeah. older than me, and I'm like, why are you hurting me? <laughs> You're not doing these right. I'm sure mm-hmm. of it. They never seem to be in this much pain on TV. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, great. So, uh, uh, how about improv? Uh, uh, okay. Let's talk a little bit about uh, running a show, because mm-hmm. uh, I feel like you're very outspoken about that. Yes. You've got this uh, Tumblr blog. What's the address of it? Is it... Uh, I, be- I think Chad, it's a... Chad Bath Cat. Cat, Cat Bath Chad. Cat Bath Chad sounds right. Yeah. Cat Bath Chad um, at tumblr.com. Tumblr.com. And that all kind of... You know, I was running... So I have a show called Catsby yes. that I run with Cat Bath, and yes. that's that's Chris Schleicher, Tipper Newton, Ryan Hansiker, and Nalinda Palomino, and... Um, it's had different iterations and different members. It started over four years ago just because they're like now it's just crazy. There's so many shows. So many. So many shows. I've got a show. Yeah. Everyone's <laughs> got a show. Back then, Crash Bar, TNT, Room 101. Yeah. And you would be excited. There was also those shows in the back of IO, but we didn't know, I didn't know about those yet. Yeah. Mystic Mondays, they've been running forever. Everybody nice guys. sort of didn't like them. Yeah. I mean, that, not Mystic Mondays. No, no, not but specific. doing the shows back in back there. there. And you know, I do have an opinion on that. I just feel, for whatever Let's reason, hear that. the DCT. I think the DCT and the Loft are these amazing opportunities to have a free space, mm-hmm. and that theater stigmatizes those two theaters, and it's sort of like, sort of beaten stepchild syndrome, where who cares where if you have a barn and you can get people to come in for free. Why would you not be promoting and celebrating those spaces? And yeah. I feel like the reason they had that cleanse 
maybe like a year ago where they had all those shows is because honestly, and it's no shot, a lot of those people who ran shows are my friends. Um, they just didn't embrace the opportunity. They had a space. They had a, a weekly or monthly slot. Why not yeah. really engage people? Like those were the shows you always go to, and people just wouldn't show up. Teams would just not show up. That, yeah, it was so frustrating. And I, but I feel like as a showrunner, if you don't have respect for your show and you also don't let people know that that show matters to you, yeah, you are going to be shit on. It was yeah. That was a weird time with those shows. I remember. I remember going. I remember. Firmly believing, firmly believing it's impossible to have a good show at the DCT. Because like, I had never done one. And, like, what a weird barometer. <laughs> it tries so hard. And mm. it's just like, it's, it's something about that. It was like the, the laughs get eaten up. And, like, it always felt like it was, like, a, yeah. big, a way bigger stage than it needed to be. But also it was very shallow. There's something, there's always something about it. Uh, but, yeah, I remember, I know what you mean. That The tone of the shows at that time, too, were very, like, I don't know, like, come. And, like, sometimes the teams would be late. Sometimes they wouldn't really care. You know, or like the host teams, or just yeah. Teams well, that's a big playing that don't show up. That would drive me crazy. Happened just the other night, uh, just last night. It blows City. my mind. I was and like, "What are you doing?" It's only going to get worse because, you know, as we make improv programs more accessible, which is great. Like as we make them, as, as as it widens out and it's, sort of. So what do you mean more accessible? Like more teams can get up more. I think there's more classes. I feel like mm. the okay. curriculum in general, at a lot of places is very um it soft shoes you in yeah which i think is the right move but there's a there's a downside to it which is you have a lot of people who come in and they're just not serious about it yeah and they're like yeah well you know you don't even need a fucking amp to start an imprint like at least a garage band yeah. needs to plug in a guitar they need to invest yeah they have to invest just a little you have to sit around for five seconds with your friends and come up with a play on words that is your name yeah and uh but that's part of growth part of the growth of a community is you have to let in more people than are going to stay. And yeah. you have to get p- more people familiar with what you're doing. Um, at the same time, the downside is there's just a lot of teams that come out and you can you know right away that there isn't a love there. Or yeah. this is just – they'll probably be doing like adult kickball next year. Mm-hmm. And this is what they're doing now. But um, – Yeah, I hear that. Uh, there is a – okay, so like – there's a lot of angles to attack on this. Just the indie scene, respect uh, for the show. Let's talk. A, let's talk a little bit about that. Well, you you uh, you said you post a lot of stuff about uh, indie improv. Just respect for the sh- having respect for the show, making a good night out of it. Uh, and I feel like that's the thing that I don't know. Like when we started, when it back in our day, when it was only a few shows or whatever. Yeah. It didn't feel like that was the case. Am I off? Do you remember? You're it, not off. It was um, like because it was like it was a you didn't. Like we wouldn't. I remember. I remember one time we wouldn't play TNT because one person wouldn't cut, couldn't make it. Yeah. And you're like, that was an eight-person team. I think a lot of that had to do with also fear. Yeah. Like that, these shows had more power, and they were run by people who really cared. Yeah. Because anytime you start a show in an environment where nothing like that exists, I mean, no one cares more than Nick Mandernack. Yeah. Uh, or and like I remember going to those Crash Bar shows, and like they really cared. They cared about the quality of that show, and they were doing weightless shows. Yeah, which that's tough. You know, you don't know what you're going to get. But I mean, Lelon was such an amazing host and so energetic, and yeah. you know, and in the TNT guys with Harrison. I mean, there was a certain energy. But the fact is, when more shows started happening, one, they weren't pioneers; they were sort of aping a format. Yeah, and while certain people put up great shows, uh, a lot of people. I, I just they sort of did shadow versions of these shows that put all this meticulous care. Yeah. You know. 
that's that's totally true. I think, uh, and every now and then, like a show will pop up. Uh, I'll say like camp. I feel like when it started, I was like, oh, you're your own thing. Yeah, and it's good and it's different. Uh, but like it didn't feel like a, a loose copy. And there are shows that I think have like come and went since, like kind of a little bit of a boom in Clubhouse era. I think like Clubhouse. Like Clubhouse had came came out, and then there was a bunch of empty spaces, and then there was a whole swell of shows at the Clubhouse, and then in those empty spaces now. Right. And like that was a time when you're like, oh no no no, we're so far away from what it used to be. Nobody cares. Like the host teams. I remember like more than once having a toast, like a host come out and be like, I don't know. Like here comes some improv, and you're just like, you're you're setting me Drives up to me fail crazy. so hard. Or how about the you, you get a team and it's like, guys have been doing improv for a year. Yeah. And they're so excited. Yeah. And then a host goes up and he pulls his phone out to look at the name of this team. Yeah. Like, you couldn't, do the you one couldn't thing fucking remember, remember one name. You probably can remember 40 things on a grocery list, but like, and I think a lot of that <laughs> just, it just walk, drives me you crazy. You, have to do is you just look like right before you're going on stage. Look, look right before you're going on stage and then go do it. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, I honestly feel like because we have a community, most people are so generous and so kind. It's just a lack of self-awareness, a lack of awareness of the situation that this group who's been practicing in someone's living room is finally going to get to perform in front of people. And you can make this such a special night for them. And instead, you didn't do that 5% extra. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it drives me crazy. And, like, in general, it is what you deal with with an artist community. Yeah. Um. A lot of us do what we do because we don't feel like we're buttoned up or we're good at details and like, but, but we're good at this free flowing stuff. But when you sure. run a show, that's a business. And I mean, not a business to make money, but you run it in a way that the people who come feel like they were taken care of and the people who perform feel like you're grateful. And if you do that, like, I mean, we've been so lucky with Catsby, but we're always full. Like, yeah. And that's an effort we make. We make sure when people, if you walk into our show, Someone's probably, it's probably going to be me, but someone's going to come up and, oh, are you here with a team? Are you here just to watch? Thank you so much. Right. This and that. We're so excited to see your set. You know, do you need a water? Do you need a beer? When you get on stage, like, I know it's just fear. I know people go up and they act like, wow, ironic detachment. Like, I don't care, blah, 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 this and that. I know you're just scared because if you feel like you put it out there and it's not received well, but that's your job. You're the host. Yeah. Uh, I want to, I think, I think that's part of. I've decided at one point somebody saw like uh you know between like John like no this is probably before that like Nick Casey getting on Herald teams Renee getting on Herald teams mm-hmm. and it, it somehow equated like hosting a show yeah. with getting on Herald night and I remember like there was a swell and even I was like I don't do a show but I remember I remember like people very much like one to one equating that like I will now get on Herald night and it's the thing of like, well, if you barely give, enough, you don't give enough shit about like to do good shows and then to host a good show. Yeah, you probably don't give enough of a shit to get on Herald Night. And I don't know what judgment that is. I'm just gonna make it. It's half-hearted. It probably doesn't mean anything. I think there's, but, you know, I think you know, especially let's be honest. There's only one real like chocolate factory Herald Night, the UCB Monday night. It's one of the most amazing nights yeah. you're ever gonna find. And, you know, realistically, most people are never going to get to play on that. Yeah. It's like a huge, I think it's, God, it's not even 1%. And yeah. I think what you're talking about with the shows speaks to a greater issue, which is if you are out here and your goal is to be part of some team 
or to be validated by some system, you're not going to make it. Or this thing that is so joyous and so wonderful, it's going to end up being something that is a negative experience for you. If you start a show, start it because you want to perform on a weekly basis with your team. Yeah. And you want to help this community. Yeah. You want to give. And if it's not for that, don't start a show. Yeah. Just don't do it. I think it. that's totally fair. Like, uh, I'm just going to go out and just a uh, little pipe, uh, speak about my show that I'm starting. Is a thing that we were talking about when we started it. Uh, and now coming to the clubhouse or whatever, I think I can actually improve the community in a very small way of having a short show that offers long sets and being a little bit more, like you call it, we're calling it curated, but just like shows that are like, yeah, I know that this team practices and I know that they're at some level of decency. I'm not like trying to make a judgment on who's good or bad, right. but they're consistent and they're not, they're working they're not those guys yeah. who just, well, like I've done, I have a hundred of those teams or have those teams where it's like, oh, I don't know, what's a funny name? We're we're the guys who sit at uh, the breakfast table. Yeah. Uh, put that up at all the shows. Submit it for every single show. Maybe we'll get up there. Uh, but, yeah, like, uh, have, have a mission. Like, we want to perform together, and we want to have a mission of, like, I think you can improve, just improve the state of improv of making people accountable for a longer set uh, and getting people used to it. Because if you're going to get on Herald Night one day, like, the state of shows now, 10, 12 minutes, like, that's not uncommon. Yeah. Uh, if you're going to get on Herald Night, it's going to be a real big shocker when you have 25, 30 minutes to do I, it. I think yeah. what you're talking about, too, is like the other thing about, you know, the original, the, the, the crash bars, the TNTs, uh, the yeah. Room 101s, our job isn't to do what they did anymore. Yeah. They came up with their own thing, that style of a weightless show yeah. that's sort of been somewhat inspired by an open mic at stand up. Yeah. That was what they did. Our job isn't to duplicate that. Our job is, look, what you're talking about, to find. What we can bring to the community. Yeah. How you can know, you serve it? How, how can you serve it? Longer set. So now what you become essentially is you become part of like a minor league system where right. you're doing those 10-minute sets, you can get 20 minutes here. Right. Like So this is part of your growth. With What we do is I really try to keep people off balance and we do a lot of premise-based stuff. Yes, you do. We do a lot of uh, groups that sort of are playing characters or throw in a character to play with that group. I think ever since Mike Still kind of came over to UCB, one of the most exciting things about his tenure is you see Harold teams taking really big chances and doing really experimental things and play-by-play with Will Hines. And, like, this idea that, like, we're not constricted by... The rules are just... When we're taught improv, the rules are just there as training wheels with this idea that we will take those fucking training wheels off. And then we will ride any way we want because we will be confident and we'll be engaging. And I feel like a lot of people go, no, let me just do it like my predecessors did it. Let me just improvise. Like, as much as I love Brian Gallivan, I'm not out there trying to be Brian Gallivan. No, you're not. And thank God, (laughs) because that would be a disaster and really depressing for me. Uh, I'm trying to figure out the way I want to improvise or the way I can sort of subvert maybe the rules, but in a way that, you know, celebrates what we do. And as a show, you know, we have... We're one of the shows that has, you know, a rotation of house teams so that we can sort of build around and give people time to really host a now a block of the show and stuff like that. Or just take improvisers, I think, who are in their heads and say, you know, one of the things we just kind of retired it for a while, but we had this thing called uh, Improv 099. And we get a guy like, um, you know, Kevin McGeehan from Second City or Brian O'Connell, like somebody who's a really seasoned teacher and then take a bunch of improvisers and have them all play like socially dysfunctional improvisers. So they're up there to actually break every rule they can sure. with the understanding that the teacher is going to try to, ra- to wrangle the show. Yeah. 
And like to me, since we have such a smart audience, um, you know, I know that often it's like, oh, the unusual thing, that's what's funny. But to me, what's funny is what defies the audience's expectations, which isn't always unusual. Like not maybe on a grand scale. It's not unusual in the sense of honestly, if you go to a show with a bunch of improv students and did a completely dramatic show where everything was exactly what it was supposed to be, you'd have them in hysterics by the end. Yeah. Um, and so that's what we're doing. We're like saying like, well, how can we surprise you? You know? And, yeah. uh, and I think we all need to do that. You know, uh, the form of improv, like it's just, uh, this sounds already sounds like wow, too, what happened to this podcast? It sounds too lofty already. <laughs> uh, the form of improv in itself is just like, yeah, you can kind of do whatever and, uh, you're making it up. You're, you're delivering, uh, novelty. Like that's, Pretty much it. That's right. pretty much the, the thrill of You can problem. do anything. I, you know, I like the clown philosophy of as long as you are serving that audience, mm-hmm. then you are succeeding. Right. And then I guess with I guess with that though, it's like the the options the options are open and uh, are we how often are we exploring it and choosing to like play with the form? Not like, much. It, it, and it's yeah, probably not much. Everybody's especially, and that's, I think that speaks to a little bit of just like. Uh, Diluting the community a little bit of like so many teams, less mm-hmm. focused practice, uh, to a lot of shows where it's like, yeah, I don't know, like we'll just go out and do a montage because it's safe and simple and whatever, uh, and we're not playing with it and changing kind of what we can do. Well, you know, we talked about earlier this idea of like inclusion and like yeah. people accessibility, but what comes with that too is like your, like I said, your job is to be in danger on stage. That's my opinion. My opinion is. That I, when I see a team that's like a one-year, two-year improvisers, whatever you got to do, you're just getting your reps. You're just out there trying stuff. I get it. But if you start to get in years and I see that you're using all the training to be safe on stage, that you know exactly what to do and you know exactly how to play this game, yeah. that audience isn't interested in seeing you show off. What an audience is interested in is seeing you go out on a ledge, take a chance, and then save yourself right like get into trouble and then get out of trouble and um i know so many improvisers i would never obviously name them who've been doing it maybe as long as you or me who i've watched slowly but surely train themselves into a position where they talk they can talk themselves out of any fun on stage yeah and then get a laugh doing it yeah but they get this muted laugh instead of oh i'm gonna go out on this ledge this might fail miserably but i trust that my commitment will take me through it. Those are the teams I want to book. Yeah. There, there is a thing to like, uh, especially like game, straight man, whatever style. Kind of, we talk about game or talk about maybe Miles and like a straight absurd situation. You, you have to describe what this, yeah. what, what's uh, happening. Uh, right my dog here, Grizz, just got into a little bank box and then <laughs> so somehow cute. somehow got in the bank box, which like the whole time you were talking, I'm like, he's adorable. And it's then so just cute. fell out of the bank box. Yeah, because uh, this dog has a cone on its head. Yeah. And, and a, something to protect its neck, it's and it's also, adorable. So, like, the other cone, it looks like one of those uh, airplane neck pillows, mm. but it's actually supposed to be a cone, but he's so he's so bendy, they just got neutered, he can get straight to his balls, so I have to mm. double cone him, basically. Oh, my God. Uh, he, uh, it's, it's, this is talking. so much better video than the audio of what we're no, no, I think That this was is so good. much fun. I think this is good. Okay, <laughs> go on. <laughs> You're making a point. Uh... 
Uh, oh, I totally lost what we're talking about. Well, I was I was talking to you about just guys talking themselves out of having a vision. Sure. Oh, yes, 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 yes. So we talk uh, and, and living in that like kind of like straight absurd or like the game based thing. It's very easy to uh, to talk talk yourself out of it or not to go with things. Uh, and I think that's inha- one inherently bad in the, a misunderstanding of uh, kind of improv and what the form mm-hmm. is of like going going forward. Like you, a straight man. Uh, is going to straight man an unusual character, but they also have to find a way to enable it and let it happen more. Uh, and it's very—it's easy to kind of talk your way out of it or talk your right, talk yourself off the ledge. Like this is a real implausible situation we've got or something too. Right. Uh, and I'm very guilty of being let the that tension. Line. You're like, yeah. you're letting the tension out. It's yeah. like and tension is comedy. Yeah. And uh, I think you know I there was this thing oh, I forget I'm gonna forget where it's from, but the idea someone was talking about how sort of you um creativity creativity is like water and your training is the glass so here you have creativity which is infinite and then you have this you have to contain it in some way to present it and i that really struck me i think it was a transcendental type quote sure but what i what i took from that too is like our job isn't to be a glass it's like to be the you know camden aquarium like to be a big enough glass that when you're watching from this, um, when you're an audience, that you don't know what we're going to do. Like, yeah. I see the glass a lot. I see people go on stage, an offer is made. Yeah. Someone makes an emotional choice. Yeah. Now a game is afoot. You know, um, you know, like three three beats of said game take place. A walk-in comes in to heighten the game. If we see your training, you're not where you need to be. Sure. Um, and that's not to say early on that you can't run through those drills. But if your desire is just to master the drill, mm-hmm. then you're not really playing. The uh, the best the best I always have ever felt in improv and what I aim for uh, is to have a just enough recklessness uh, when I play. <laughs> this sounds not quite right, but enough uh, balls or whatever to kind of throw the ball just high. Like if it's, we're playing catch, I just want to throw it high and hard. And just hope that my partner can catch it, and hope that they have the skills to like keep it going, and that when they do the same thing to me, I have enough to like kind of keep it together. Because that's it's more that's more fun than I guess if we're in a weird like football analogy, I guess, than it is to just do like laterals like all back yeah. field or whatever. It's like that's not as fun as it is just like oh hail mary, here we go. I hope this works. I believe that we as a team are good enough to make this work. Uh, and just to keep the the football metaphor going even further, nobody's there to like as the defense to like knock you down. Nobody's there to just go like, nah, fuck you, you can't do this. Right. Go for it. Give it a shot. It's worth trying because it, honestly, it's the most rewarding improv to do. It feels the best. I'll even take it a step further, which is an audience will reward failure if you don't quit. Sure. Like if an audience sees you going out, and that's one of the things as just a showrunner. I see is a lot of improvisers not understanding the element of connecting, truly connecting with an audience, truly feeling the tension of an audience, yeah. feeling uh, their support, feeling them pull away. And, you know, I mean, I, you just, I brought up Johnny uh, Carson earlier and like best laughs that guy ever got was failing. Yeah. He would go out and tell a joke and he would feel the audience pull back from him and then he would take it in, he'd absorb it. And, and then they die laughing. Yeah. And, you know, and uh, Louis C.K., he's the master of making a bold, offensive statement yeah. that has every should turn that audience against him. Yeah. And then winning them back. Yeah. And 
that is always going to get you a better reaction from an audience than just saying something funny or going through a series of funny movements that you're hearing the laughter, but you don't have them. Yeah. You still got five guys out there texting on their phone. Yeah. And people who are like, that was nice, but I'm not going to remember you guys differently than the other four groups. Yeah. You know? And that's about, that is solely about connecting with them and sort of leaving an impression. You know? Yeah. Just marinating in that for a second. Mm. Uh, okay, switch a little. Uh, <laughs> I'm just gonna switch topics like it's fine. Uh, I feel like I feel like I see you do. I've seen. I've only seen you do a handful of improvs and done mm-hmm. a handful of improvs with you. I feel like you're big. I feel like you're huge. Well, what happened with me was when um when I was dealing with a uh, with Kira and the illness and stuff yeah. like that. Um. I sort of became like that junkie that nothing was enough too. Like as much as the joy was there and I just started asking myself, I'd be on these long drives. I lived out in Woodland Hills and I'd start saying, what do I want? What am I, what do I want to accomplish? I'm 42. I'm not trying to get on a UCB Herald team. I I have a job. Like for me, the independent scene, which is something new to people, like I'm a Ronin, like that, that is my stage. Like these shows that happen, uh, we were lucky enough to play at UCB for Crash Bar, but that's not going to be something that happens regularly or maybe ever again. So as I'm driving, I'm like, what do I want to get out of this as a performer? And I was like, what I certainly don't want to get out of it is just getting better at the things I'm, I feel like I'm already good at. Yeah. And I hated object work. Um, when I started, just the idea of, I felt I looked dumb. Like, this isn't a plate. This is air. You know, like, what am I digging? This is, this is, a, this is a wood <laughs> stage. Um, but, like, st- like, I would feel that way. And, and also, I write for a living. You know, that's my job. And I feel like I'm pretty good at being clever. And I'm a good talker. And so I was like, well, why don't I work on all the things that I feel like I'm scared of? And that was physicality. And I used to be much heavier. I wasn't always athletic. I used to be 275. Um, when I started, I was a much bigger guy. And so, um, and to his credit, Rich Tallarico, who I, was uh, good enough, and he's one of the members of Dasarisky, um, he has a whole training thing he does where he just makes you do object work ad nauseum. Every yeah. scene starts with object work, you know, always touching the space, always exploring the space. And uh, I was, uh, I had the privilege of uh, training him with him for like a year and a half. And uh, so that right off the bat, I didn't like. And, but then as I started to do it and I started to see these reactions, of people to physicality and to explosiveness, I was like, I'm connecting differently now. Mm-hmm. Like I'm connecting to a lizard part of their brain. They don't know what they can't. They don't know what to make of me, and it's making it hard for them to look away. Yeah. And that's rule number one as a live stage performer: is how do you get it? These people feel that if they look away for a second, they're going to miss something. Because yeah. once you have them in that heightened state of awareness, laughs come easier. Yeah. And so I just kept going. You know, I kept trying to be bigger, and I kept trying to be uh, riskier, yeah. and and then it just became the only way I wanted to play. Yeah, and that's um, you know, I have a group Jetso, and that's the group I probably uh, get booked the most. I mean, I'm really fortunate in the sense that we've done that for basically we've been doing that for two years, and now we're at a point where half the bookings are me going out and requesting them, mm-hmm. and half are people coming yeah, in, yeah. and which is like a nice in, in a scene where there's so many teams. Um, that's just. It's humbling to have people be like, oh, we really want you to play and stuff. And that sort of mentality was, exacerbated is the wrong word, but it was heightened by, you know, I met Juzo Yoshida. He's the partner. His story is he's a Japanese national. 
It's only been over here for like four years. He was in America for a while in the 90s. But um, I was in an I.O. class with him. And here's this guy who's so watchable and so interesting. And he was struggling because English is a second language. And we talk so fast in improv. And like, and, and uh, I decided I want to do a two-man with him and see if I could like support what he had, which was emotion and physicality and stuff like that. And his ideas are crazy. Yeah. He just, I remember a practice once where the suggestion was baby and we would do object work and try to support it. And then afterwards, and this is just us practicing together. I'm like, what were you doing? And he was like, he's like, I was working at a baby factory. (laughs) I'm like, but that wasn't to him a crazy idea. That was just where his mind went. And so he and I started just like when, when you just serve your scene partner, like your whole goal is to make them look right, which you've heard from a hundred teachers. But when you truly do it, like physicality is just a natural extension of that. Yeah. You know, uh, it's funny. Uh, rolling back to what you said about, uh, you know, make it watchable. Uh, I watch I go to indie shows and uh, I know I know when I no longer have to watch a team. Like, I know I just don't need to watch them anymore. Uh, like, I'll listen. But I'm like, I don't know. Just check my phone, play a game, whatever. Because it's just yeah. like I know where I'm at with this. I know where I know about how far you are willing to go and how far you're willing to take it. Uh, and that's not the case with good improvisers. And and I think you uh, you're good. You take it to a different level. But like the like I just saw a smoke show where uh, where there was like there's a lot of talk about how Eugene's whole family got murdered. Uh, it was very funny. Uh, and then just out of nowhere, like Joe Wanger. Like comes like goes off stage like you really you kind of have to be paying attention and just like peeks open some curtains right. or whatever and like the, it was like it was like oh great great this is this is the killer it's finally happening and I got a huge laugh and it's a little thing yeah. it's like I, I couldn't have been listening for that I couldn't have not been I couldn't have been not paying attention and still enjoyed it I would have had to like look up and go like what's going on uh, and having and yeah bringing some physicality and bringing some uh, performance I guess to it if nothing else to call it like performance we're on a stage but, you know yeah. I think. It's so funny because uh, Improv for Humans, the uh, Matt Bassard podcast, yeah. I think that podcast both serves as the, like the greatest accomplishment to why that why the UCB style is great, but also its greatest indictment, Yeah, which is I listen to that podcast. I really enjoy it, but there are times where I'll be watching UCB trained improvisers where I'm like, this could be a podcast. Yeah. Like, I don't need to see you on you, – you are not using this space at all. Yeah. And uh, you're being clever, and I don't mean clever in that because that sounds like I'm being demeaning. Like you're you're using the mechanisms of this game and finding interesting tangents and yeah. doing some really cool stuff. But but I haven't seen you improvise from the neck down yeah. this whole show. And if you don't do that, then I don't have to look. Yeah. Like I can check my phone. I, I, I I'm not going to lose anything. Yeah. Like you said, it's what a nice. And I'm obviously like Joe Wenger, so brilliant. Yeah. And uh, but just that nice little subtle move or a yeah. good a good emotional um, receiving things emotionally like that's what I want to see at a Catsby show yeah you know even if you're a young group fail miserably fail big yeah. and you'll come back yeah uh, putting 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 in just the touch of physicality especially if you can support your game or uh, you know support what's going on uh, or, like it just it just changes it changes the whole dynamic of your show and so uh, and it prevents you from being the worst version of a UCB improviser. And, and you know, that's not on them, by the way. You know, no, all know. these programs, because I think they get a, a – because they're the the biggest show in town and yeah. the most popular, I think they get a bad rap. But that's on you. Like, UCB teaches an approach to game that's great. 
if you want to be more physical, I take a lot of clown stuff. I do a lot of clown workshops. Um, you know, I've seeked out. They tell you at UCB, seek out other ways to sort of influence your improv. I think there are, there is a generation of people who feel like, well, I took the classes and I have, I'm coached. It's like you're not done yet. Yeah. Like, if you're not finding new things, what are you doing yeah. to be more interesting? You know, it's uh, yeah. There's a, there's uh, yeah. If we talk about <laughs> we talk about your your glass and water <laughs> metaphor, uh, yeah, you've got the glass, and it's like, well, just get, let's get like lots of water going now. Like, let's have yeah. a lot of options and creativity, yeah. as opposed to just have the option being like, well, I know how to talk to people. Well, you know, That's I rem- what I definitely can do. And again, I won't name names, but uh, name names. Um, well, it's just somebody. An improviser told me that they, they like, they had a Sunday where they would like be in four coaching sessions in a row. Was like, that me? <laughs> it might have been. No, um, I, I know who it is in my. And, and they were like, "Oh my god, it's the most. It's just my favorite day. It's so much fun." Yeah. And I'm like, that's not what co- like when you train as an athlete, when yeah. you train as a dancer. Those dancers might be like, "I'm doing what I love," but they're off. Their legs hurt. Yeah. They're sweating. Like if you go through a coaching session and have gotten nothing but pats on the back, and yeah. then you've wasted your money. Like what chances did you take in that session? Yeah. What did, what did you how did you push and see what you could get out of people uh, in your group and support in different ways, even if it meant like that was a disaster. Yeah. Um, yeah, I always feel cheated if I end a class or a workshop and at one point I haven't gone too far. Yeah. And pushed too much. Yeah. And and I see sometimes, because I do a lot of these things, I'll see other people look like, oh, that's terrible. Like, there's a look like, oh, he really got his ass handed to him. And I'm like, great. Now great. I know. The best day. Yeah, yeah, that's the best day ever. But there is that, <laughs> I think in general with improv, the feeling of like, it is the most supportive community. These people are great. But like, that doesn't mean we don't have to push ourselves. Yeah. That doesn't mean we don't have to go uncomfortable places so we can sit in them on stage. You know, that's what matters. Yeah, I agree. Uh, let, I want to touch on one more thing uh, that you said about doing physicality, uh, and then we'll roll, I want to roll back to coaching. Mm-hmm. Okay, so physicality. Uh, I think uh, I totally agree with that. Uh, but to me, and this is just because I've been doing it lately, uh, that a, a bad thing, a very bad thing, is sac- sacrificing uh, uh, improv game mm-hmm. chops for pure physicality or pure like energy or whatever. I feel like I see that uh, a good it's it can rare. happen. It's rare, but I see it happen and I'm like, "Oh god, you've lost me." And it's real quick and it's hard to come back from. That sense of play gets out of it spirals out of control yeah. and uh, you know, a lot of it comes I think too from how you approach physicality. Yeah. Like me as an improviser now, like I try to and it's it's not always successful, but like how can you start with your environment and your body first? Do you know what I mean? Like, as opposed to, I have this idea, and then this is how my body reacts to it, or this is how I can show it physically. How, when you receive, like, an initiation or a line, you take it in physically, you, you know, I think when I see that happen, there's a couple groups I like that I've seen sort of spiral into that place you're talking about, where it seems, it seems reckless in a way that the audience doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Um, And that's that relationship thing. And uh, I think a lot of it comes from, they don't start in a place where the physicality is integral to the game. Yeah. It just becomes, it. yeah, you got to earn it. There has you know? to be, there has to be, uh, I talked a little bit about uh, this before with uh, 
person I did two two man improv Brandon uh, yeah, you guys are great wonderfully physical I've seen you. a bunch of shows it's yeah. very nice uh, and we're good at it and we're, you know not to be like we're good hey. at it we, know, we can do that but uh, at, I know at a certain point too we've talked about this like we relied we just relied on it uh, and we do like something big and physical or whatever and it's like well cool the audience hated it because there's just no fucking reason for that to happen right. they just watched me and they're like they're like yeah why why would anybody do even in the craziest world why would anybody do what just happened we're not laughing yeah. uh, and it's it's really hard to go to like reel back justify things and then go big and it's a very hard position I think to too you have to dis- in physicality you have to discover things yeah like when you sort of get into that zone where you're just to all tackling each other on stage, but those tackles don't matter, yeah. or the emotions don't heighten, yeah. or we don't find something. Like as we're tackling, we realize we've set up an object work table, and then we both stop to clean up all the glasses we just spilled. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's it's no different than when people just talk ad infant like ad yeah. nauseum. Like if if you're not building on something, I talk about this a lot with Juzo, and you know we do like a pre Catsby workshop for uh, like new students about. This idea that every offering must be honored. Yeah. And that's not just what you say. That's if you walk out with a certain um, energy or with your feet pigeon-toed or touch the space, that matters as much as, like, my, my sister's coming from Boston and we got to get this place clean. Like, that, like, you can't – you need to touch that object again. Yeah. You need to honor the physicality and heighten the physicality of it. And, like, sometimes it does feel like there's just this – Flourish a physicality that's like, yeah. all right, that's for you guys. That's not for them. Hey. You know. Yeah. Uh, one of the uh, I, t- I taught a workshop in San Diego, uh, and one thing that I was experimenting with and turned out to be one of my the best successes I've ever had was just making people do two line scenes, but mm-hmm. forcing them to uh, put put physicality, whatever. Like you can do some object work, or you can whatever walk weird, whatever. Force physicality and force a line that don't necessarily have anything to do with each other and then make the person doing the second line I'd be like just pause just don't say anything mm. don't say anything take it all in how can you speak to everything like how can you not only listen to their line but also listen to their physicality and respond to it uh, and uh, it's by the end of it if you can do that you'll hit home runs all fucking day all long day. it's incredible and I remember, and I'm not, I've lost that skill. Like, that, that's something that you should, like, try. Uh, but I remember there was a, a point when somebody came out and they, they basically looked, they were, like, waving their arms in, like, a triangle pattern. And it looked like those people directing planes. And then somebody said, like, I'm really sorry your dad died. I was like, wait, just listen, just listen, just listen and see it and make it happen. And then their second line was like, uh, well, I really wish you hadn't directed that plane into him. <laughs> like, yeah. it was like, great. You spoke to the thing. It was like the funniest thing. The whole, because we saw everything happen. We we see all the pieces and you put it together. It's the and, magic trick. Oh, it's you magic. saw every part of it. Like, yeah. there's that difference between like seeing a guy roll his sleeves down, seeing him pick up a, a coin and then make it disappear as opposed to a guy rolls his sleeves down, then he reaches behind his back yeah. and there's a coin. <laughs> it's like, um, you know, and uh, that's with the Jetso, that's very much like, I'm like, how do we break things down so to such primary pieces that the audience has been part of everything yeah. and you know and one of those things is what you're talking about with physicality is pattern work like for instance if you have a scene where you have like this dance like maybe you end up dancing with your scene partner and then later you're like a doctor giving someone news about a disease and then you find a way to dance again yeah. and they see that pattern return but with a different emotional context how, brings the house down yeah. like they're like oh my god it doesn't even have to necessarily make a hundred percent sense just have to be committed to 
and you have to honor the emotions of the scene you're in. Yeah. You know, and uh, that's something we, you know, in general, that's the stuff that interests me. Stage picture, um, absurd heightening, yeah. creating patterns, physical patterns that you can revisit in different environments because I feel that plays differently with an audience. We're, we're very used to something is said, an emotional choice is made, an unusual thing is discovered, explore. Mm-hmm. But that's not the only way to make people laugh. Like, stillness makes people laugh, you know? Yeah. Like, so how do we have shows where we're not just sort of playing this? It's not like that, uh, that Huey Lewis album that made so much money in the 1980s where the songs are all pretty much the same. Like, the beat tempo's a little different, but yeah. we've got a really good hook, and it's upbeat. And, like, I feel like I do see shows where I'm like, boy, you guys are nailing this one way to tell a story. Yeah. And you're nailing it, but you just did it six times in a row. Yeah. You know? Uh, switching switching up on a show just for, as for for tempo and pace and novelty, uh, just destroy like it, it helps. It really helps to yeah. do uh, like a, a lot of coaches will just be like do a long scene at the top. That's like such a common advice. Just do a long slow patient scene at the top because you're gonna almost everybody's too frantic and they're gonna go fast later. Yeah. But for the for the love of God, have some variety in there. Uh, and also to come back, or if you can, <laughs> the harder version of it is doing like a little bit of a faster show and then doing a slow scene in the middle mm-hmm. and still having it kill. Like, and it impresses the audience. It's like, whoa, they're not, yeah, like you yeah. said, they're not just watching you do the same thing six times. There's variety. You know, yeah. I think one of the things that, I mean, Second City doesn't always get the best rap with improv. Yeah. But one of the things that they do really well are blackout scenes. Um, they just have a scene where in the middle of a show, someone comes out. And someone sort of says a line that kills, and they wipe that fucker. Yeah. You know, great. Now the audience doesn't know when a scene's going to end. Yeah. Now they have to pay attention more. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, we had that problem at Cat Bath for a long time. Uh, we do a soundtrack now, so we don't deal with it as much. But um, our coach is Monica Smith, and we do, like, five, three-minute, almost like on the nose, three-minute scenes in a row. Yeah. Like, we had a rhythm. Yeah. And, like, how do you break that rhythm? Because that'll make you as a performer go different places, too. Anytime, anytime somebody gets uh, you get too much into a thing or too uh, too comfortable doing it, it's mm. like all right, stop it. You got to stop it. But don't you think though that? And again, I don't want to sit here and indict, but as a community, we're in a dangerous place of people being very satisfied with doing the same thing well over and over again. I can't tell you how many. I go to a lot of indie shows. I run an indie show, and I see groups come off stage, and I feel like their reaction to that set is wrong. Like I feel like. I just saw you do what you always do really well yeah. and get a decent reaction from this audience. They were entertained. Yeah. But none of you felt like you were ever in danger. None of you felt like you pushed yourself. So it's like, should you be sitting around going, hey, we, we just did that thing we do again? Yeah. Or should you be outside, like at the corner of Santa Monica, being like, oh, that feels like, what, yeah. how are we growing? You know. Yeah. Uh, I think that's totally fair. I think, uh, and, I, and that's what I've talked. Like, <laughs> I've consistently had that issue uh, as an improviser. Like, literally from my first team, uh, where I'd be like, "Yeah, it was like fine." Yeah. And I, like, I, and I, and like, <laughs> I've upset a number of my teammates just having that mentality of going, "Like, I don't know, we've done it. Like, I don't feel impressed. I don't feel like new. I don't feel like I was on the edge of something I could or could not do." Uh, and that, <laughs> I need, I need that rush. Yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> but you know, like there is a, there is a point where you're just like, yeah, I don't know, like it's fine. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, from the very beginning, we were doing deconstructions. I think I remember like my very first team, Smackers, were doing good deconstructions. We got really fucking good at them. Mm-hmm. Or you know, really, you're getting a reaction. Yeah, people like, like we them. Can do this. We can do this. And it was just like, well, let's stop for the love of God. 
because uh, I'm bored with it. Like I, I know, I know who comes out for the deconstruction scene. Like I know who's mostly doing it. Right. I can usually pick who's. It's like, oh, that's awful. That's not the place to live in. Yeah. Well, not for what we don't get paid for this. Like, yeah, we're we're going out there. We're giving our time. We're doing it for free. If you if there isn't some, like. I think the word artist is like almost a dirty word in improv. Like yeah. this idea that we have, we're approaching it like artists who constantly want to challenge themselves. And also, if I, if you have a, sh- if I've seen, you know, it's so funny. I just saw um, Matt Newell and Jacob Reed uh, do something at um, Shapeshift uh-huh. where it was like, I like big physical shows, but they didn't do much physically. And they had the audience, yeah. they had them by the balls. Like they <laughs> just, it was just a stupid game. They were using a simple improv trick and stuff. And, like, they got such an explosive reaction. Like, I feel like if you're in that audience and you see that, then you're like, I want that. Like, yeah. as a, I also feel like people aren't exploring multiple reactions. Like, take the audience to a place where they're fidgety. Yeah. Take them where they don't know why you're playing it so serious. Yeah. Miles is awesome at that. Miles Stroth. Yeah. Um, you know, he's a, he'll sort of just sit in something and it feels like, well, this, why, it's just a dramatic scene. And then he'll... He'll let a little tension off and get a huge laugh. You yeah. Know? The other thing about Miles that is why I think he's doing something that a lot of teams aren't asking themselves is, and Jetso, we definitely do this, is he's telling he's doing a show. It's a show. It's not a set. It's I started here and we ended here. Yeah. And there was a journey that you went on, and it might not have been a narrative one, but it was thematic, and something revealed itself to be truthful by the end of this show. Yeah. So. That's why it was worth watching. Yeah. And uh, that is, I, there's so few groups that are doing anything like where it's like, oh, we're not just beholden to making the scene funny. We are beholden to telling this, to making this bigger piece. This show is a show for a reason. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. I feel like uh, the, <laughs> it's, I think a, it's the community, it's the, it's the short set. But it's also the thing of, like, there's a little bit of a mentality of exchanging hours for when will I get on my Herald team. It's like, well, I put in the hours, and I kind of did, like, I kind of did funny shows. And it's like, yeah, I've seen you do. And I can I can think of, like, a, a dozen teams at least that I'm like, oh, God. Like, yeah, you're kind of funny. And you clearly are like, I'm just, just changing in my hours. It's like, but just do change. Like, yeah. you got to be a better improviser. got to be a better improviser. Uh, and this is spoken way too highly to the person who's like, yeah, I'm okay. Well, no, I mean, I think it's fair because we're also audiences. Yeah. And, like, I'm certainly not coming at this saying, like, look where I am. Yeah. You should be doing what I'm doing. What I'm saying is I run a show. I sit in an audience. This is my expectation that that uh, that teams are going to try to really give me something special, something special for 10, 12, 15 minutes. Yeah. Not a series of moments that uh, were pretty fun. Yeah. You know, and that's – and we have to ask ourselves, why don't we have, like, outside of UCB – why aren't there more casual people coming to these shows? Right. And that's because we have sort of found a comfortable place that sort of satisfies us. Yeah. But my goal at, with Catsby isn't – I mean my ultimate goal has always been – and we've gotten closer and closer. It's going to be harder with the new clubhouse because it's bigger. Is like I want the, the, the performers to be downstairs and that audience to be just there to see them. Yeah. You know, I'd say we're like 50% there. Yeah. Um, and it's hard because if you go out there and just – have this like we're all friends just doing shows for each other and we find each other funny Thanks, too. Yeah. yeah and it's like for sure. and that's the feeling of like every time you get on stage it should be special yeah you know uh, I remember uh, and this still happens every now and then but getting to perform for somebody 
who you admire or uh, like you know has coached you or whatever. I had Colt, I remember I had Colton Dunn. I knew he was in the audience. He was like my very first coach. He's been on the podcast. I like him. I respect him so much. Uh, and I was like, and I remember even just a little bit in my head, I was like, oh, this feels a little bit like I want to do better. And I did, and I was like, oh, he said something to me. Like that's what he said. Yeah. He gave me a little and that change. Like that just changes it like entirely for you. And if you could, like, but that was the thing of like, oh, I cared, and I put the stakes in it. It's an entirely different show. So maybe try to put that into all your shows because if it is right. a weird community yeah. of your peers and like there is reputation getting around even even if for nothing else like your reputation will get around as a person who is good and worthy like I think we like throw it out there like Ronnie Adrian had that reputation yeah. you know like as just like a dude in the community who put in good shows and like always yeah and, and always in it like yeah. like there was I never no, saw that never saw that I don't like Ronnie Adrian as a person no 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 one likes Ronnie Adrian as a person. Yeah, yeah. As a performer, it's hard to deny that when he was on stage, it mattered. And yeah. that he was listening. Like, watch Ronnie Adrian on the back line. Yeah. He is listening. How many times do you see someone on the back line and they do that move where they kind of bump their shoulders against the wall and for a second look up to this guy? <laughs> it's like you're, you're basically playing defense for a basketball team right now. You, you don't yeah. check out. You don't know when yeah. that, you, that fast break is going to happen. And, uh, but that kind of speaks to also we, we don't think about training those things. Like – Every time you're on stage, you are training to be 100%. That's a Boom Chicago kind of thing, That why they're so awesome. Yeah. It's like, treat every show like a big deal, but every part of it. Yeah. The minute your name is called, how do you get on stage? Ooh. How do you stand on the back line? <laughs> I have a you theory know. that I, I feel like I can, uh, I can, with probably 80% accuracy, when a team gets on stage, just tell you like from their name to when they get the suggestion if they're going to have a good show or not. I can yeah. just be like, yeah, it's like this, this is going to go bad. I can just tell you, and it's 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 energy. It's like mm-hmm. not being interested in it. It's like it's like you know half connected to the audience. It's half listening. It's like half giving a shit. It's like I don't know. Like this is dumb shit. Like you can people put yeah. off or just say asshole shit like before they start the show, and you're like, well, and that's all like gonna lose it, man. And and if you don't recognize that's fear, like yeah. that's not because you're better than this because. You signed up. Yeah. You sat in that fucking audience. Yeah. So we clearly know you want to be here. Yeah. So that's you being scared of not living up to your own expectations as opposed to going out there and being vulnerable and being like, I want you to love – guys, I want you to love this show. Uh, Penn Jillette was talking about uh, Don Rickles and he said – I'm going to mess this quote up. But he said what made Don Rickles great was that when he got on stage, there was nothing he wanted more than to please this audience and for them to love him. Yeah. But he wouldn't compromise one thing about himself – to make that happen. Yeah. So the duality of you're all that matters and I'm going to give you what I think is art. Like I'm not going to pander to you. I'm going to go out and give you what I, my personality on stage and, and you're training those muscles. The idea that you're going to do all these indie shows and then if you're lucky enough to get on a Herald team, oh, I'm just going to have great work habits. No, you're still going to do that on the back line. Yeah. Uh, maybe not for the first two shows because you're excited. Yeah. But you've basically, you know, it's very easy in improv with coaching and classes and shows to build up bad pickup basketball game habits. You know, this idea that I'm 50%, having fun, yeah. but nothing's crisp. It's not going to get fucking crisp yeah. later. So treat these shows, you know, you talked about entering with Jetso, you know, I mean, we wear costumes. Yeah. We you guys have a whole show. We have a whole show. We look at it like you've come to see a show, but yeah. also. You know, we enter to a song and we dance. Yeah. We dance for 30 seconds. We dance our hearts out. And we look at the audience and beg them to love us. And from the first time I did it, I was like, of course. And that audience at that point goes, oh, they're here for us. 
I'm not saying every team should do what that was our solution. Yeah. But you know, you come on stage a, and do it. You, you have know? to have a have a version of uh, starting with and showing and the confidence and also just living in that show. Mark mm-hmm. David Christensen does his little fucking twirl, his like jump twirl. I don't know if you've ever seen him do it. Yeah, yeah, I've seen him. He does that and like I can't do that nor do I want to and that's also just not my energy as that's a person. Him. Yeah. But like uh and some I performed with Brandon and like he uh, he said you always get this suggestion and I, I said something like I always stand downstage. I always stand like right at the very tip of the stage. And he's like, You do? And I'm like, yeah, come look. Like, just pay attention. And he was like, yeah, you do that. Like, one time there was an empty chair in the front row, and I just leaned out on that, like, my yeah. foot out on that, and kind of, like, looked out in the audience. And that's my that's my dumb version of going, like, right. I'm here. I'm here doing a show. I'm confident. I can stand here. And it doesn't necessarily have to be frenetic. No. It ha- but it has to be confident. Yeah. And it has to be, like... like Intentionality. Would, and look at the audience. I am here for a reason. Like, that's another thing. I see teams go out. It's like, before you start, yeah. look at the audience. Look at them. Look at them in the eyes, you know, just eyes in the sky. You're looking at it. You're like, it's like, don't make us feel like we're um, eavesdropping on a really fun conversation at a bar. Yeah. Make it feel like, oh, we're here for you. Yeah. You know, and like, again, that comes from, from me as a performer and as a showrunner. Yeah. You know, that uh, because I can't stress enough, you're not doing it because you're scared. And I'm not like, I'm not like calling you out like a chicken shit. I'm saying... Recognize as a performer yeah. that fear is a major inhibitor to being a good performer and that Especially everything you do. Especially a good improviser. Oh, my Especially. God. And it'll show up not just in your scenes, yeah. not just in how you commit. It'll show up when you enter the stage, when you exit the stage, how you interact with people. That was another thing. That exit and, like, you know, is, I think that's important, too. Just being able to you know that exit, or whatever. Uh, the shoulders go down. Yeah. <sighs> It's Try. like you're still I, on stage. I do that. I've, I've started doing this recently, but I just do the reverse. If I go to the very front of the stage, you kind of like bow, thank you, whatever. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I don't, I don't need like. I, I kind of feel weird at like, you know, like you say, it's artist is a dirty word in this community. I don't want to like do a full bow and be like, yeah. you're welcome for my performance. But if you committed to it, but I want to be out there and just be like, yeah, I did this. I came out and I stand by everything I did. Uh, and it's hard, even if you don't, you know, yeah. you, it sucks to like walk around after the show and be like, I don't know, if somebody says something nice to you, like, that show sucked, I'm an asshole. <laughs> but also, you know, which things. I'm very guilty of, <laughs> I apologize to everyone. Well, you know, a lot of, we have a lot of introverts in the community, they don't mean to come off a certain way, yeah. you know, they're shy or, or they're people who love to perform, but off stage aren't, but like push yourself, mm-hmm. push yourself to go around and talk to other performers, shake their hands, tell them what you liked. Yeah. You know, like it's good for you yeah. as a person. Yeah. Um, and lastly, kind of on, on this subject, too, have you ever seen the documentary Jiro Dreams of Sushi? Yeah. Okay. That's, to me, improv. Every piece, how we boil the rice, yeah. you know, how we choose the fish, how we cut it, how we massage the octopus, like, don't throw away the entrance, the exit, Nothing the back doesn't line. matter, yeah. Every, and you know what? If you actually care about every piece, yeah. if you... Uh, we I do these um, workshops for people who help with Catsby where we just work on nonverbal play and getting into your subconscious. And I'm always on them, too. It's like, you know, if you open a drawer, you know what I mean? Like, really, um, let us see how you – let us see your fingers. Like, don't open it sloppily. Like, yeah. you know, let the audience see how you grab things and how you let go of them. Yeah. If you go into a drawer, there's probably other stuff in that drawer. The drawer just doesn't have that pair of scissors that you want. Yeah, it's always like, this thing was on top. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, the fact is... If, <laughs> Can you go get my pants? Uh, they're right here yeah, in my boom. hand already. Or I love that pants move where, like, they sort of step into it, but then it's like... they're yeah. Like, I'm, I have big legs. 
I know when I put pants on, I gotta like move my knees around. Like I gotta maneuver up. <laughs> you know, my you know, there's always a moment where like it kind of I pull it over my ass, but it's still too like and I'm yeah. It's like the reason is because one, all that matters, but two, there's discoveries every step of the way. Yeah, there is. If yeah. there's a drawer and you have to sift through it, there's some part of your mind that's like telling you there's other stuff in that drawer, and two minutes later in that scene. You're like, oh, yeah, no, I, I, and you know where that thing is. Or yeah. you're like, oh, there's a menu for Panda Express, and we saw you touch that menu. Well, yeah. You didn't know what it was. Yeah. And it's like that Jiro thing. It's like make everything matter. Yeah. That's what slow play is. You know, it gets that bad rap of like, oh, it's just people sitting around fishing and talking. Like, that's not slow play. Slow play is you make a meal of everything. Yeah. Everything. You, you, you hear something and you react emotionally to it. It doesn't even have to look slow. Yeah. It just has to be meticulous, you know. That's one thing, uh, and that transitions nice into coaching. One thing that I do uh, when I was coaching uh, that would come up every now and again, I'm just like, hey, just just so you know, uh, you edited a scene. Now I need you to make the moments between your edit and the next scene look intentional. And that's a huge, and that's also like a huge barometer for just confidence in like stagecraft or being, you know, level level of confidence on the stage is even if even if editor like is waiting or like looking are you going to step out and like start to do something i was like my number one tip and i'm like this is a dumb thing and it's like not necessarily good but like if you can't if you edit a scene gets wiped and you're just standing there grab two chairs take the time to place them specifically sit down take on a posture you'll get something by then but doing those steps deliberately if, is a, yeah. like, if like I don't have anything but filling that moment with making us believe it's deliberate I will listen to you I yeah. will listen to you way more than somebody who sits there for five seconds frantically grabs a chair and then like sits oh down. that moment and we all know it and uh, you know it's, it's, it's the reason too that like when you talked about your longer set shows like there are times when I'll have um, a newer group and everyone kind of gets stuck on time too. Like yeah. a newer group, like, what do we get? 15 minutes. I'm like, you're not ready for 15 minutes <laughs> I'm, because sometimes you'll see a show come to a crescendo and with the energy and they've forgotten everything that's happened. Yeah. They all go to the back line and then they all look at each other. This yeah. is We've all seen this. They all look at each other. They have nothing. And like you're saying, this is all happening in front of people. Yeah. This isn't in your living room. <laughs> and then, Two people step out like at the same time, and yeah. they look at each other like, "Do you have Can something?" Can you do something, please? Neither. Yeah. So then, either we get some weird game where they both like sigh, yeah, and then they'll sometimes follow that pattern, which is a nightmare. Or they'll <laughs> grab chairs, but they're unsure, and then we oh, get a chair game. Did you want the chair? Oh, the chair oh, no, game. you please. No, 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 you. Why don't you? The most. I'm sorry. I just got a chair for you. <laughs> oh, I wish. And then they, oh, I wish they'd put these chairs out at this wedding. Why do we have to set our own tables? And it's like guys, yeah. and like. But you have to work through that. Yeah. Like you have to train through that. Yeah. And like you said, making keeping people honest on transitions. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just make a big, abstract, bold oh. move. Trust. I'll tell you, if you wipe a scene and you come out and you're like waving your hands like one of those uh, those I don't know rubber guys in front of a used car dealership, mm-hmm. and you start doing that, and then find a sound, the audience isn't like, what the fuck? Yeah. They're just like, where's this going? Yeah. And then you. And that's the danger we talk about. That's like, the, that's the scary part, and it's tough. You it's scary, it. but you know what? That's audiences love scary. Audiences yeah. love that it's improv. That you didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. You don't have this bag of tricks ready. Yeah. And all these scenes you can go to. That certainly tells us you don't have that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, coaching. Uh, being disappointed and stuff. Uh, you, it sounds like you're coaching too. Let's. Uh, mm, uh, yeah. Well, I'm just to be clear because. Where I'm at, too, is I feel like there's certain things that I've been doing right for a while. Okay. I feel like 
and again, there, I have so much more to learn. Um, I'm, I'm privileged enough. There's a guy who, does, you know, Wet the Hippo. Have you yeah. seen him perform? But that's run by a guy named John Gilkey, former Cirque du Soleil performer. I think he still holds the record as like the longest running Cirque du Soleil. He's created characters for Cirque du Soleil. He's like yeah. a real treasure to have sort of hidden, like we have here. We have all these masters just hidden in the hills. Um, <laughs> but like one of my favorite things is Monday night going and being broken down by that guy. Like, yeah. Being told everything I'm doing wrong and stuff like that, but I feel like as a performer with Jetso and the comments I've got, that my focus on nonverbal play, mm-hmm. my focus on you know going to emotions first, um, sort of spatial uh, relationships on stage, using a space, yeah, that stuff I feel that I'm at least at a point to sort of so anything I do is built around that, like you know not that I don't I have had good shows, but there are definitely people who are better at like putting together a deconstruction. Yeah. I wouldn't find... And I don't coach for uh, money either. I do a pre-Catsby one for peop- young improvisers who support the show. Yeah. I do one for people who work on the show. On occasion, if a friend has a group and physicality is an issue, I'll come in and just like... To me, I'm fortunate enough. I make a good living. Yeah. You know, like... And improv for me is this thing that money isn't involved in. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just fortunate. I'm almost older. Sure. You know? So for me, like, I don't want yeah. finances to play into it at all. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I get that. I feel like uh, we've all had the coach where it's like, ah, you didn't deserve my $60. Oh, uh, everybody. Yeah, I've ever just had that. But I I, uh, I feel like I start I started initially with that point of view of, like, I'm doing this for free. I will, will do this for free. But I feel like I had too many times of a lack of commitment to it. And I'm like, yeah, I charge. Like, I just, I charge. I don't uh, think someone like you should be doing it for free, yeah. too, because you're also... Oh, I don't make, I don't need or make money from it either. Like, yeah. I just, I don't care. I'd, yeah. pre- I'd prefer, like, and I still would prefer, theoretically, to do it like, kind of free or, like, goodwill. But there is a thing of, like, yeah, if you can't kind of commit a little bit to it, to me... And there's an industry to it, and I think people should be paid for their... Like I said, for me... Yeah. You know, like, I'm really... I'm a screenwriter. Yeah. I've been able to make a living at it for, like, the last seven years. Yeah. Um, So I have money coming in. I have a day thing I do. But, you know, as a screenwriter, and I love so much about it, there are a lot of compromises that are part of being... working in the studio system. There are producers and directors and executives who want things worked into scripts and it's not always what you think is the best idea but if you're doing your job right you are being a team member and so I really enjoy it at the same time when I do improv I don't have to compromise yeah and part of not compromising is also for me kind of leaving money out of the equation yeah that's just that is my situation I dig Um, I would say you know coaching is an interesting we are in an interesting situation because it is a way to make money doing something you love yeah and I do feel, look, we're, there's, a, there's a bunch of assholes out there with really shitty tattoos because someone had to learn to put ink on an arm. Yeah. You know, so that's just part of the thing. Everyone's going to have to learn how to coach yeah. by coaching, just the way it is. I would prefer if there was more of a shadow system, you know, where people you admired, you could watch them coach. Yeah. Is that realistic? I don't know. Um, I will say things that I've dealt with in the conventional system that I don't like is – Coaches that don't really seem to have what that team needs in mind. Yeah. Or coaches that move too quickly to new things. Yeah. Like they're a class. Yeah. That's not what coaching is. Slow down. Take it. Slow down. Yeah. They got. You need four weeks to work on the first three lines of a scene. Yeah. Take four weeks to work on it. Yeah. If they're if they're shitting the bed on that and then you're like, oh, now next week we're going to work in tag-ins. Yeah. Then what has come of it? Yeah. You know, that wouldn't happen in basketball. If you're missing layups 
or you were you know dri- dribbling drills and you were not doing it well, that yeah. coach is going to make you do it over and over and over yeah. again. That's the thing that I feel like uh, uh, is good, uh, kind of bad, and a, a thing that I get knocked on. There's like good job coaches. Mm-hmm. There's coaches that are like, yeah, good job, good job, and that's kind of their note. And mm-hmm. you're like, yeah, 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 but what else? And I know that I've come in or subbed or whatever, and just seen like just baffled faces from these young improvisers yeah. who are like, why don't you love everything that I've done? And like, why am I, why am I getting notes? Like, uh, yeah. and that's, and that's such a, and we talked a little bit about this before. It's like, you should, you should love getting challenged in your, your practice. Like if you, you know, if it's something that you thought you were always good at, whatever. And like, Hey, you're having an off day. That's one thing. Sure. But like if somebody caught, like, it's like, eh, I don't know, yeah. take a note, like find out more, find out what they think. I think there's, I think there's balance to be had, and yeah. um, I was just reading. Um, I forget the book I was reading, but you know, you take someone like uh, like a lot of us went through UCB, and we had like a Will McLaughlin or a Julie Brister. Yeah, I think they found this really beautiful balance of, oh my God, you're so brave. Yeah, like especially for a first year or two. Yeah. but you know, but you know what make that better? Yeah, you know, and I think sometimes we do get into that. Even as a coach, I think both sides need to move to the middle. Like, yeah. Find a way to make them feel good about themselves because yeah. it's a it's a vulnerable respect the vulnerability. Yeah. Um, like right now, you know, I have certain instructors that know me and know it can just be like, you didn't find any stillness, and yeah. I didn't believe that, and that's all I want. I don't care. When I was a first year, second year, that might have I I remember, <laughs> he's such a great improviser, but I remember Charlie Sanders coming up to my place in Woodland Hills. And he had just gotten to Los Angeles, was taking coaching gigs. It was yeah. before he started just working on KMP and stuff. Yeah. And there was a guy in this group who was subbing in who was frustrating to all of us. Yeah. Because he wasn't committed. But Charlie just ripped him a new ass. Like, just. <laughs> and that guy stopped improvising. Now, <laughs> he probably was close to stopping improvising. Sure. I, I would bet you anything. He, he went to nursing. So, like, he, he ended up doing other things. But certainly. Look, if you're – and this is not like an indictment. Charlie Sanders is a nice guy. But know the audience you're dealing with as students. Yeah. If they're, if they're still just terrified to walk out there, yeah. find a way to make them feel good and make them better. Look for the, yeah, look for the good as much as you look for right. the bad. Like there's nothing – and that's also – that's a thing that terrible coaches do is they just uh, – bad coaches will just rip you apart for every little fucking thing. Right. And I've been in that one where it's just like – uh, it wasn't, I don't know, it was like a fine scene. I could have used more specificity. And you're like, well, yeah. I think it was a pretty good scene. Like, I get it. We can, yeah. everything, everything can be better. But give me a fucking break. Be the master, too, because that's you not controlling. Like, be, be in charge of that room. Yeah. And being in charge of that room also means inspiring them. Yeah. Not just criticizing them, not just glad-handing them. Yeah. But making them move forward. And, you know, it is. It's like, I think there are times... We're a younger improviser who's really hungry. That's the best coach you can have. He's keeping notes, and we've all and like if like I've been lucky to train with people who've been doing this for a long time, yeah. multiple occasions. But there have been times where I've trained with them, and I'm like, I get it. You'd rather be you know writing for a sitcom right now. Yeah. I get, but you took this job, so yeah. Don't bring your personal shit into this room because this is a very fragile space. Yeah, you know we're we're trying. We want to get better. And, yeah. um, but for the most part, that hasn't been my experience. Yeah, you know, that's great. For the most part, I think we're so lucky to have so many wonderful performers that yeah. we can get for an affordable price to teach us. Like, you can't get Stevie Ray Vaughan to give you guitar lessons. You, know, <laughs> you can't do it, you know. Uh, you, like, 
you know, you look at acting and you have all these like heralded acting teachers that aren't out there in movies. Yeah. You know, and I'm not saying that they're not great, but we get to watch someone on the main stage who blows our minds. Yeah. And then have them come to our house or a <laughs> studio space and say, I'm going to explain to you what I just did there. Yeah. Oh, my. Like, we'll yeah, look back on this. It's just a dream. Yeah. Uh, I think that's great. Mm-hmm. Any other uh, things that we didn't cover that you'd like to cover? What, what's uh, what, keeping in mind that we'll be doing Pearls of Wisdom and Plots momentarily? Oh, okay. Well, probably <laughs> not then because I feel like I've heard this podcast enough mm-hmm. to see that you'll, like, pre-ask for some piece of wisdom mm-hmm. and then ask for a Pearls of Wisdom just, like, a minute later. Well, I know. I'm wondering if, like, there's anything that we didn't cover as far as your personal philosophy or, like, I feel like we did good. We covered a lot. I feel this is a good podcast. I can say uh, I can just say that already. I'm giving this an A. <laughs> I, uh, I'll say this, that, um, and again, I feel much more comfortable talking as a showrunner mm-hmm. than as an improviser. Um, I, like, I feel like with Jetso, I've had a certain level of um, people have liked it. Yeah. And, I've been, and, and we're doing something very different. Uh, I would say that when you get to a place where you feel like you're out there and comfortable, it's not. ask yourself what rules that you feel confined by. And then don't break them for the sake of breaking them. But ask yourself why those rules exist. Um, I think that was a big step for me. Like, for instance, you know, here's just, uh, here's just three. One <laughs> is, you know, don't pull a gun on your scene partner. Yeah. Don't kill them or kill yourself. Yeah. Um, that's a great rule for young know, That's a great training rule. But why does that rule really exist? Yeah. Because they say, like, oh, because then the scene's over or this and that. But that's not – sometimes scenes end. Yeah. What it really is about is control. It's about that gun is your, <laughs> your subconscious being like, I don't like what you're doing right now. Yeah. So I'm going to literally – I'm going to hold you up in the scene. Yeah. Or I'm going to make a premature exit or I'm going to make you leave. Yeah. Once you embrace why that rule was put there, Juzo and I will do shows where both of us die 20 times. Yeah. And it's the right move every time because <laughs> death is just a form of being. And so someone dies and all of a sudden you're a guy who comes in the room and finds the body and now you got to get rid of it. Yeah. Or someone dies and they become an angel and they go and we'll do the gibberish form somewhere else. So yeah. Taking, not, yeah. taking the control. Just hop in it real quick. Taking control or like fearing the relinquish of control or whatever uh, is a thing that I see a lot and it's just like it's so devastating you have no clue like mm-hmm. and, I, and you see people go like you can't be you're not you're not doing this like that's that's the, oh, the line yeah. it's like you're not doing this this is not happening I, I, I have like, a well real, hey man I have a great story um, yeah and there's and that line also like well that's what I came in here to say in the first place that's like if you hear that you know someone has not let go of their original idea <laughs> because a bunch of shit has happened and they're like I was gonna ask you to be my, my, my maid of honor it's like Oh, we're, we're in a whole other space now. But uh, I saw I saw a really gr- a greenback group at this show. And I don't want to name the show, cause, but they were doing this scene. And I love – I've now gone from – like we all go through that thing where like I can't watch it. I can't watch But now I'm so focused. The greener, the better. Because it is like watching in slow motion yeah. all the things you can fix. And, yeah. Um, and, uh, great lesson, a lot of great lessons in there. There is. And, you know, also train is – like we talk about the intangibles – when you allow yourself to be a bad audience, it filters into you being a bad performer. Yeah. When you allow yourself to check out as an audience, that is the checkout muscle. Yeah. So, you know, forcing yourself to watch a painful green set is a good muscle to build. Yeah. Um, but I saw this group, uh, and these two guys were out, and one, they made like these half sort of 
proclamations. And uh, neither was, like, too nuts. Yeah. But, like, both of them clearly thought the, um, the other had said something that just was so crazy. And so they're going back and forth, and they're navigating because both are playing straight men. Yeah. And, right, like, after two minutes of this agony, the one guy just drops his hands to his side and goes, let me be very clear here. You're ah. the unusual one. <laughs> but, like, in the context of the scene, and I laughed for five minutes. Two, I felt bad because it was clear I was just laughing at some weird thing because they weren't. But it was just like, that's the feeling. It's like, no, no, no. I know what this scene's about. You're wrong. I've seen that before. One of my, this was very early on. I remember somebody coming. I don't know what, it, I don't even remember what the, like, the label was, but it was like a you always blank. Yeah. Uh, and the person went, no, no, no. You don't get to decide what I always do. Now, anyway. Uh, I, uh, you know, it's so funny because like, I would love to get a group together. Just I love these stories because I saw um, sometimes you see a group's a greenback group's like sort of mishap turn into the best laugh ever. And yeah, I was at a show at the loft and this guy was directing traffic. So it was a wipe and he's pointing at guys and like just like stuff you can't do. And he's like, so he does it, and he pulls chairs out and he gets people to sit in them. And, like, he pulls other guys, and then he's, like, he's, like, a mariachi, and, like, he's got these guys with him, and he's, like, excuse me, ma'am. He's, like, uh, I heard it was your anniversary. I've come to sing you a song. And the girl goes, no, thank you. <laughs> and the place went, Chris uh, Schleicher and Cat Beth does that to me all the time. Yeah. I'll, I'll do some, like, really, and here's another thing. Yeah. A, a good denial. Yeah. Hey. Subverts expectation it's, for an audience. To, it's a I, dangerous line to walk, but yeah, you know, sometimes if it's you just trust like, each other, yeah. Yeah, sometimes there's just a world, and you're like, yeah, no. Juzo will misname me all the time, but just recently, Chris, I did this thing where I was like <laughs> doing all this object work, and I was like, I was cooking food, and uh, he just came out and goes, stop making burgers. <laughs> and I lot like I never break, and it just was great. Like he had so disrespected my open, but that's great. The audience like. You know, like, so there's another one. Yeah. What, what, when are denials wrong? Like, yeah. obviously, we want to support worlds. Yeah. We want to support realities. But sometimes, I mean, Juzo, partly because sometimes he doesn't know what I'm doing, but partly, like, I'll come out with a very clear physicality. Yeah. And he won't know what's going on. And instead of just letting me figure it out, like, the other day I came out as a samurai, and he was like, Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. And then I was just, like, yeah, I just Chaplin, grew, yeah. and then the audience, like, so... Understand that if you have trust, yeah. a denial can be great. And I'd say lastly, the idea that you can't interact with an audience, yeah. you can't look at an audience. A lot of that's done because it's used to take tension out of a scene. Or you look at an audience and go like, hey guys, I don't take this that seriously, so you hating me doesn't yeah. ma even matter. Yeah. But if you look at them earnestly and like and express your feelings, sometimes it's the most powerful thing you can do on stage. You, uh, I don't think you should aim to be meta or like necessarily mm -hmm. pandering or like I guess pandering isn't the right word speaking to the audience in your scenes uh, but that's a powerful tool to have in your belt yeah. and just like whip it out every now and again because nothing will please the audience more uh, like the classic the classic version being of like something falling like around you or like somebody mm -hmm. making a loud noise and acknowledging it like yeah. that gets a huge reaction and the same thing for like if the audience is kind of aware of something off or wrong, and you can kind of speak to the audience about it. Oh, they, yeah. They love it. They're like, thank God. Because, you know, like, improv it is meta. Like, in a way, you co you start this show by going, like, what do you want to show about? Yeah. So they're they're already a part of it. Leave they're a crucial part of it. Yeah. And I would also say don't, don't get stuck in this idea that, you know, 
Dell close, and these are, this is what we're doing. Improv- people have been improvising forever, hundreds yeah. of years. You know, there's Commedia dell'arte. They just had characters, and they would go, and they do it in gibberish, and and they would feed off that audience. And and you know, if you choose, like Juzo and I often choose to more of a clown technique to look at an audience. And like we just did our show, at, uh, the Crash Bar was nice enough to have us. And Juzo, uh, I was doing a Jetso show, and Juzo was playing an abused housewife, and I was just abusing him and abusing him, and we were really creating tension. And uh, I kept calling him garbage in that gibberish way that we do. And yeah. he just looked at the audience and he's like, am I garbage? <laughs> and like women were like, no. <laughs> like, and that, that's a choice of a style. Like that's a stylistic <laughs> choice for I a set. Definitely see Jesus. Oh, yeah. He's, he's, so funny. he's, and, he's uh, great. So, yeah, like I guess it's not about aiming for anything. It's yeah. like sometimes a show will be in this old style yeah. of – you're, you know, that Shakespearean style or the yeah. Comedia dell'arte where it's like, you're party to the, you are a party to this crime. Yeah. You know. Somebody, uh, ooh, I can't remember who said this, but a lot of times you'll be defined by, in, in any art, by what you can't do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and I think that's, I think that's, that's kind of the same thing. It's like, that's, yeah, can yeah I, I like that. Can I talk, can I talk to the audience if I can't, then I'm not that improviser. Like, mm-hmm. you're, you kind of put yourself in a box. So what can't you do? I think it's like a good question to ask yourself. Like, can't I? Like, I started doing musical improv. Just like I can't do this. It's like, okay, I guess I do musical improv now. It's like, well, cool. At least I know I can do that with some semblance of confidence. Right. That's great. Uh, live, live in that world a lot. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, pearls of wisdom, or uh, yeah, pearls of wisdom. So this uh, is something classic, I've heard. Classic note. <laughs> classic segment of the show. I have to say that. Classic. classic. So classic. Uh, Piece of, a note, feedback, advice, uh, something you heard that you, you like. That had I've been thinking it. about this because right? I, I always <laughs> feel you let down when someone doesn't have a good pearls of wisdom. I don't feel let down. I understand that it's tough to come up with it at the last minute. Um, <laughs> so my quote is not from a teacher but from a relationship counselor. Okay. So uh, Kira, the uh, uh, woman who got me into improv, uh, we had a little rough patch and um, – it's just we were fighting all the time, and she finally talked me into going to this relationship counselor. Yeah. And, well, I went in armed to the teeth, and yeah. I just laid out every argument, and this is what she was doing wrong, and this is why her lateness upset me, and this and that. And it was like just, you know, I talk <laughs> – You got I used to talk for a living, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and this guy, who later turned out to be a bit of a sham, but this was a brilliant thing he told me. Uh, he was like, wow. He goes, uh, that's a compelling argument you've made. Like, all that stuff makes total sense to me. Uh, he goes, I, I, I can't right now see a way to poke a hole in it. And I was like, exactly. And he yeah. said, how's that working out for you? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Such a dickhead. Right. That's funny. But, you know, I think in improv, we get sometimes this indignation, a scene should go this way. Yeah. Or, obviously, the, the offering here, the thing that got the biggest laugh, and it's like, it... Don't doesn't matter if you're right. Yeah, like get that out of your head. Yeah, be present and support. Just just support blindly yeah. everything that happens, and you will have good shows. Even if that's all you ever did was just go out and whatever someone did, you just wanted to support it. You'd be fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, control, giving it up, coming over to the other side. But if you don't believe in it, that's powerful and it works. And yeah, yeah do it more. Uh, well, that was great. Uh, Chen, what's, uh, plugs? Anything you want to share with the world? Um, plugs. Well, uh, you know, uh, most of the shows I do outside of, well, Catsby is the second and fourth Sunday. Right now, the clubhouse is in a transition. Yeah. But whenever that, um, we might do a show, but most likely we'll come back in September. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm really proud of this show. Yeah. Um, it's, it's three, hour, three hours long. 
It's in blocks, about an hour a piece, so you can come and go as you please, uh, and it's curated. Um, we do a lot of premise-based improv. Um, we do stuff that you're not going to see anywhere else. We also take groups that perform everywhere and then add something. I've actually been talking to Scott Davis um, in for your group. Um, yeah. Sticks Martin. Yeah. Uh, like So when those groups come in, we find a way to get them a little off balance. Yeah. Um, we also have a feature right now. Well, we, you know, we have groups we've created like Essence, which is an all-female black uh, mm-hmm. group. And then we have Yellow Fever, all-female Asian-American group. So it's like you're going to see things you never see. And we always have at least one surprise. Yeah. So please come if you can. And also I would say with Jetso, we perform a lot. We get, we're like you guys, like Brandon and Steven. We're fortunate in the sense that we probably get to get out like 10 times a month. Yeah. Um, we, are, we have a Facebook presence, um, Jetso, so Jetso Improv. Um, so please come out. We bring musicians, and we always do a really complete show. So uh, those would be my two plugs. That's great. Uh, well, Chad, thank you so much for being on the show. This was super fun. Yeah. Good. It was fun. Hi, Sex and the City fans. Megan McKeever here. Check out my podcast, Cosmos and the City, where I'll be watching through the entire series of Sex and the City with a slew of fabulous guests. Each week, we'll be talking through everything from who wore what and why to the hottie of the week. So grab a drink and join me on my journey. Thanks, and be sure to subscribe to Cosmos and the City in iTunes or your favorite podcasting app.